So this, this Eastertide series we're in is a, um, is a series around the resurrection, and it's called Life Goes On. And the idea that comes from the resurrection itself is that there are these moments in life where we imagine if this thing was to happen, life would just cease to be. It just, we wouldn't be able to go on. If we didn't get the job, if we didn't uh, get that relationship to work out or whatever it may be. And when that thing happens, sure enough, life keeps going. That's actually what happened in in an incredibly literal sense with the disciples and the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was proclaiming. They thought it was all over. They thought when Jesus died, that that was it, and that they probably wouldn't go on, that they would be killed, dispersed, whatever. And then it didn't happen that way. That Jesus was brought back to life by the power of God, and we're here today, and churches all over the entire world are here because that happened. So this morning, we're exploring this theme in this passage in Acts, and the, the direction that I want us to travel in on this, on this passage is really the idea of what happens when that message and, we use, and the words we use to describe it change so dramatically that it can feel unrecognizable, that, that we can try to talk about our faith, we can even try to think about it. And some of the words that were used by the gospel writers, they evoke different ideas now because of what has happened in our culture and in our world. What do we do about that? How do we think, respond, worship, and serve when so much of the meaning behind a word like the gospel or the kingdom of heaven seems to have shifted dramatically? That's what's happened in our time. But it's not the first time, actually. And we'll take a look at that. Here's, here's an illustration of something that, like that that's happened to word. The word literally. I, I just, I've had such a hard time with the way that that word is now used. People say, it was so hot, the sun was like literally on my back. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. That would mean that every, all life on earth was destroyed because the sun would burn everything up. But everybody, everybody around me is doing that all the time. They're saying, I literally could not open my eyes. Yes, you could. You literally could open your eyes. And I, I went, I looked this up to find out how this has gradually changed and happened. And I'm not gonna go into all that uh, because there's enough that you have to do with that with the Bible anyways. Uh, but one thing that I found that was like jokes on me is Merriam-Webster has now changed the definition of literally to match people doing that. Because it's so pervasive, they're like, we lose, we lost. We're the dictionary and we lost. So now the second, the second dictionary definition says, in effect, virtually used in an exaggerated way to emphasize a statement or description that is not literally true or possible. So that whole idea that you can't use a word to define a word, dictionary lost two out of two on that one. So that's really funny, 
But it's also a, an extremely serious thing for our culture as we think about words, as we think about the meaning of things and how more than anything else, words actually construct a social reality for us as human beings. That the way that we describe, that's why, that's why it's so important the way people want to be addressed in, in like a sexual orientation or a race or things like that, because those words are so powerful that they construct a sense of social meaning in the world and it really dramatically can impact how people are treated, the direction of culture, and things like that. And the Bible is no novice to this idea. In fact, the writer and evangelist and uh, apostle Paul did this all the time, and so did the other gospel writers. In, in, in fact, that word gospel that we have, it was taken from the language of the day, and it was to pronounce a new kind of pagan emperor. Um, it was uh, to say like, hey, good news. This emperor, he, he like overthrew the previous emperor and now he's in charge. And so the gospel writers started using the word gospel to mean the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and his ministry of the kingdom of heaven. So they took that word, it literally, that word, literally means good spell or God's spell means like good word in the Latin. And they took, they took that word before that in the Greek, get one translation ago in language, and they started to use it and they used it so much, it was like the dictionary losing with literally that the word gospel ceased to mean what it had meant before. And it now began to mean this ministry and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There's some similarities there, but it's different. And in this passage, it, it strikes me that Paul is swimming in all this language and this meaning. And this is gonna come to your, your neighborhood really quick because this kind of happens in cycles. So 2,000 years ago, the word gospel started to shift in its meaning and become something about Christianity and faith. But today, we have things going on in our culture that look antithetical to Jesus, but there is literally a picture of Jesus in what's antithetical to it. So can you show that image on the screen? This is January 6th, right here. And we have a portrait of Jesus. We only know it's Jesus because of where we saw this image before, but Jesus likely didn't look anything like that. And he's wearing a Trump MAGA hat. And this image has to do with language, which has to do with culture, which is in the process, this culture is trying to overthrow a democracy. And so that's how important the words are that we think about and describe things. What's happening in this image, in the types of speeches where you have somebody saying like, uh, I'm gonna read a, a little quote, and you could take that picture down. We don't need to see that any longer. 
You can take uh, a quote from um, Steve Pence, and he and he's quoting parts of Scripture, but he's replacing things. Let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on who, who what in that Scripture from Hebrews, what, who should it say? Yes, Christ, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. But when he says it, Steve Pence before the Republican convention, let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on old glory, which is a meaning describing the old America. So he's literally replacing in the first definition in the dictionary of that word, literally. He's replacing Christ with some kind of uh, a vision of an old America where things are, were the way they were supposed to be, right? So these things are in, incredibly important. And they're important to me as the pastor of your church because I'm thinking about how is it that this vibrant faith that I'm experiencing and we are experiencing collectively, how is it that we can communicate that faith when all that mess is going on? How can we build a bridge and invite people into knowing this real living and active God that is, doesn't care at all about who the president is at a particular time or those that, that the early Christians died because they said, no, Jesus is our Caesar. It's actually Jesus is the one that we submit to, that we do not merge a flag with our worship of this carpenter's son who became the propitiation for sins on the cross, who taught us how to live a different way, who brought the humble up from the earth. That those two things are not the same. And you missed your chance for an amen right there, but you'll have another one because that was definitely an amen moment right there. So this, we are in good company though because this happened early on in, in the Christian faith. Not 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus, our faith was co-opted by the government, by the Roman government. Uh, there was a thing that you may vaguely remember if you took some history classes or if you're in seminary, the Edict of Milan that happened in 313 in which it shifted where Christianity was no longer illegal as a religion, but by 380, it became the official religion of the Roman government. And that was just like Jesus with a MAGA hat on. That's what that meant in that day and time. The exact, hey, let's put crosses on our shields before we kill all the people that don't uh, subscribe to the same things that we do and believe in the exact same type of authority structures that we believe in. Oh, and we'll throw in the name Jesus in there too to make it sound like really spiritual and, and religious and things like that. So I wanna read this quote about this time uh, from this guy named Lee Stamen. And he's, he's actually a librarian for this place called the Center for Action and, and Contemplation in New Mexico, where some of you know that's the center that, uh, that Richard Rohr, uh, Father Richard Rohr helped to uh, form. He said this, since the beginning, there have been responses to the religious, political, and cultural reality of Christianity and empire. So this word empire, is the idea of 
when the government gets combined with our faith, okay, empire. In the fourth century, you see an exodus out of the cities to the desert, often in response to the popular acceptance of Christianity within the Roman Empire. These desert fathers and mothers, you ever heard that of those folks before? According to the Trappist monk Thomas Merton, did not believe in letting themselves be passively guided and ruled by a decadent state and believed that there was a way of getting along without slavish dependence on accepted conventional values. So meaning they removed themselves literally physically from the main centers of the Roman Empire so that they could not be pressed upon by this confusing language where they were talking about Jesus, talking about Christianity, talking about these things, but they meant something entirely different. And so they had to find a way to remove themselves from that constant noise because they knew that something incredible was at stake. They knew that the message, that the gospel of Jesus, as it was taught to them, as it started to infiltrate culture, as it was lifting up the poor, the enslaved, the, the minorities, those on the margins everywhere, that as it was happening that way, that at the same time, this powerful, violent government was co-opting the words, the language, the methods of worship in order to reestablish the same exact thing that existed before. And so thank God that these desert mothers, I used to hear that, I used to think like, well, that's so weird. That's so, I remember this pastor at this church I worked at a long time ago, he would just randomly say, I'm not into those monks and those people that go off and, you know, uh, I want to be like in it, you know, and doing all this thing. And I always thought like, man, why is he ripping on monks? Like that's, why does he keep doing that? You know, because they preserved the message and the gospel of Jesus when it was being contorted back into a violent, oppressive way of humans living the same old violent life that Jesus came to abolish and to change and that he died for. So words matter. The setting here in, in Paul's situation in the book of Acts, he's in ancient Athens. And it's this place where ideas are really important to the Athenians. And they've since been, you know, subjected to Roman government, just like everybody else. But they have this level of freedom to talk about ideas. And this is the place where like Socrates and people like that would have engaged with their ideas. By the way, they killed Socrates too, because Socrates was like, hey, you should reflect on your life and your decisions. And, 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 and they said, you're teaching young people too much crazy stuff. So we're going to make you drink poison and that whole thing. So anyway, this is the scene that Paul is in. And the, the name of the Aeropagus, it came from the idea, the, the cause of this idea was that in ancient Greek mythology, this was the place where the God of war was judged by the other gods for committing a murder. Isn't that interesting? It's actually, Paul makes subtle references to that in this speech that he gives. 
Because Paul's slick, man. Like all, this, all the slickness of Paul gets knocked off in, in a, lot of the, a lot of the stuff I've heard growing up. Like this dude was slick. He knew ideas real well. So this is the scene and Paul has come here. He's kind of like escaped and he's, he's waiting for some of his boys to come and so that they can go off onto the next spot. But he gets there and he sees this really religious group of people here in Athens and he's like starting to get troubled by all the idols. And he's like, I'm gonna go ahead and preach while I'm here. So he starts preaching and then they invite him to come to the Areopagus to talk about this new idea, this, this new faith. And that's, that's the situation here. And so in verse 22, we're not gonna go through this whole passage today because we're already two thirds of the way done here. But we're gonna take a, take a look at a couple of these verses. So starting in verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, and I'm just gonna stop right there for a minute. I don't know about you, but that MAGA hat Jesus has really impacted some of my relationships with people who I want to know the living God. I want them to encounter the same God that I have encountered. And so when I'm trying to talk to them or I'm even reading or seeing things on social media and things like that, uh, they don't want anything to do with that. But neither do I. So it's kind of like, ah, I'm, in, I'm, I'm like Merriam Webster right now. You know, like, what do, what do I do here? And so are you, you're in the same spot. And the thing that a lot of people say is that they're really, they're actually spiritual. Like I have a Calm app on my phone and I'll do like some meditations and things like that. And I consider myself a really spiritual person. So even though these people that Paul is addressing have never even heard of Jesus, it's almost like we're still in, in that same place right now where Paul's saying, I see that you're very spiritual and religious. Good, all right? We got some common ground there because we are spiritual beings, spiritual people. And thank God, literally, metaphorically, in, the turn, in that turn of phrase, that uh, that's, nobody has the corner on that. Nobody has the market on that. And that's something that Paul understands as he's talking to these Athenians, is that there is, it might be buried, but there is within every human being in, an inherent knowledge, maybe even a wisdom that's already there that says, I am a spiritual being. I am more than just the workings of a brain, of flesh, of blood, that there is more to us as human beings. In fact, none of the human rights efforts that people who say they're atheist or agnostic, that they hold to, none of them, none of those things would work with human beings if there was not a spiritual core to us. It just couldn't happen. We would just be just like a raccoon or, I don't know why I thought of a raccoon, you know? Like we watched this special on cheetahs 
in our family. And like, they're just constantly like eating each other's babies and doing all this terrible stuff. And I'm like, good Lord, this is, we we're trying to have like a family movie night. And it was, it was terrible. Like all these big cats eating each other and like, well, this is the weakest one. So this one will not. And I'm like, good Lord, you know, human beings are different. There's something in us that whether we are aware of it at any moment, at any particular moment that we are divine. And Paul starts there. I see you're very religious. You're very spiritual. You go to yoga class and you go to meditation studios and you have your calm apps and you talk about this stuff on social media. I'm so present, just being so present right now, right? All that kind of stuff. You support nonprofits. You listen to spiritual music. You have tolerance for other people, right? These spiritual attributes of being human. None of those things are bad. Those, that's the common ground. So then Paul goes on in verse 23 and he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Hmm, interesting. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Wow. So just as inherent to human beings as our spirituality is, also our desire for relationship as well, our, our need to connect relationally. And Paul's saying like, so you're spiritual, so you have these practices, but I noticed something. You covering all your bases, you've got all these idols and statues to different gods, but you recognize there's something missing to the unknown God. And Paul, with seemingly a lot of hubris, pride, says, see that ignorance right there? I can actually help you out with that. Why is Paul able to do this? I'll tell you why he's not able to do it. He's not able to do it because of all the books that he read. He's not able to do it because he's an amazing academic, because he is, but he was also that when he was persecuting Christians because he got himself all turned around and backwards where he thought killing people and imprisoning people in the name of God was what he needed to be doing. But then guess what he did? Guess what happened? He met this source of his spirituality, this source of who he was as a human being on the Damascus road. And that source asked him a question, a very relational question. Why are you persecuting me? That's what he was asked. So in that moment, everything Paul thought he knew started to shift and change. He repented. He changed his mind about who he knew God to be. And as he stands here at the Areopagus, he argues for a God of peace, a God that he has known personally and, and, and intimately. See, here's a problem. Here's a problem. The MAGA hat Jesus, we say, we don't want that. Who are the people that talk about that? Well, they're the evangelicals. 
The evangelicals talk a lot about a personal relationship with Jesus. So I'm gonna throw all that stuff out. And so then what I've got over here, okay, so if I'm not that, then I must need to be a Democrat. And I must need to be pro everything that something broadly under a liberal uh, umbrella advocates for. I gotta be about that. And just like that, we've severed a relationship with a living God and settled for an identity based in political groupthink. We've, we've settled for our security coming from not being that. And while there are some places for this dualistic hitting together of ideas like that, I, think, I'm, I thank God we have two political parties and not one. Because January 6th was trying to make it one. I thank God that there's two, but that's not good enough for us. It can't be good enough for us. Paul is saying here, I, I can proclaim to you a real living source to your spirituality. It's not gonna be beholden to Rome. It's not gonna be beholden to any charismatic teacher out there, but you can actually know and encounter this God. This is what the desert fathers and mothers said. We have to figure out a way for this message not to get lost, for this connection to how we were made, the purpose that we have not to be severed. We have to keep our prophetic place in the world. It wasn't a lot of people. And that pastor that I did not reference by name that stood on that stage and belittled the monks and all those people, he wouldn't be standing there if it weren't for them. Still, I probably don't know it. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This, this part right here, our our time and place is not so concerned with temples built by human hands or idols built by human hands, but it is still concerned with building just simply a artificial sense of who God is or isn't, kind of locking it down. Well, as long as God isn't Jesus with the red hat on, that's kind of all I'm looking for right now. It's, it's, it's tragedy because of what we're made for as human beings, because of the potential we are so far from living up to yet. I wonder how many thousands of years it's gonna take before we are revealed in Christ. Verse 26, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Paul thinks that's what God wants, for people to find him. And he's there, hasn't said a word of scripture to them. And he thinks that he can reach them because God wants to find them, because they are spiritual, because they are created in the image of God. 
because he's met God. And then he says this, though he, God, is not far from any one of us, the kingdom of heaven is near you. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Some of the people listening to Paul were called, they subscribed to a religion called Stoicism. And Stoics believed that God was in everything on some level. Stoicism's complicated. Uh, but they believed, at least on some level, that God was in every living and non-living thing. It's kind of like, it's close to, it's just not the exact same as in Genesis we read about God breathing life into Adam and Eve, animating their physical form with spiritual life. And the, the Stoics believed that was everywhere and everything, that this spiritual force, that it was God. And Paul speaks to them from that point. He says to them that in him we live and move and have our being. But he doesn't stop there. He is able to make that connection point. And here's what I, here's what I want to say about this for us, okay? Is that if we get caught up, and we will from time to time, but overall, if we get caught up in being satisfied with our identity coming from a particular just political ideology or, or reacting against the Jesus with the red hat or whatever it may be, we will start to lose our sensitivity and ability to speak to people in this way, to recognize that everyone is groping towards God and that the ideas only matter insofar as they bring us closer to a living God, not the God made from human hands. So we can argue about the appearance of Jesus, and that's an important argument, but it can't end there. Those things can't end there. We can argue about political parties, and those things are important, but it can't end there, and that cannot be our end goal. So Paul creates this common ground in this language because he knows that the desire is there in these people, that he assumes that they are reaching and hoping for God. I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this, that I don't know if each one of you here or anyone that listens to this podcast, I don't know if you have met the living God or if you have faith in the living God right now. We've been talking about that Jesus made himself known in the scriptures and the breaking of bread. So I think you're in the right place for that. But I do want you to know that if you have experienced that living God, if you have hope, if you have faith, if you have love, if you have courage, somebody else wants that, that you know in your life. And it is important for you to find a way to talk to them about it that, that doesn't end with, yeah, we're both liberal or we're both whatever, right? 
it's important because you have something more than that and something more to offer. And we are prone as human beings because the desert fathers and mothers, it wasn't a lot of them. Most everybody else said, I don't want to live in the desert. Is Rome really so bad? Like, they're handing out more bread to people. Like, they're a little bit nicer to us now. Like, is it so bad? Can we just settle for that? Last uh, part of the scriptures here for our passage this morning. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Why? Because we didn't know. We didn't know. That's what ignorance is. You don't know what you don't know. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, change your mind. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. They're sitting there in a place that is a place of judgment to decide, did this person kill that person? All that kind of thing. Where their mythical Greek gods all gather together to judge this other God. That's why he adds this part in the way that he does. He's, he says, actually, God has sent a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he ends here with, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That there is actually a point in a person, in a person that you're able to have a relationship with in which this spiritual energy and life converges into. And it's knowable. It is a being, a human being. That is what Paul's confidence is in. His reasoning here, his ideas all come back to you need to repent because a man who said he was God was raised from the dead. You have got to change your thinking about who and what God is, why you're a spiritual creature, what the, what the end is for you, what your purpose is. This feels urgent to me in our culture, in our world. It feels like this will, this is, this is not a generation ago, even. It's not two generations ago. The conversation has changed, and the way that we engage it, whether, whether we seek to do what Paul did here, and if we need to drop a word and think about that differently in order to reach people with the living God, the resurrected Jesus, that's what we do. Instead of reacting against it, wasting all our energy on those things and getting sucked up into the same little, you know, just cultural battles of everybody else. That's what we need to pray for in our lives and our hearts. That's what we need to pray for if we want our city to change, if we want gun violence in our country to change, if we want immigration laws and other things that are being, other people that are being marginalized and hurt right now, if we want those things to change. Voting is really important, but it, is, it can't change all of these things.
So let's go to the table with expectation that we can seek to know this living God more in the breaking of bread with one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence with us. Make us aware of this presence. Sustain us, give us hope, give us strength. Meet us here. Amen.